Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Believe in Betting Chicago right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today's episode is episode six of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary series. Our episode today on Betting Chicago is brought to you by betonline.ag. And joining us here today is my man's Aaron Hagel and Mike Choi. How's it going, guys? I'm good, doing good. We hit episode five. We're rolling right into episode six, so why... Why stop now? Why why even go with the pleasantries? Let's just dive right in, you guys. Uh, where we left you off after episode five, uh, you know, Drexler ain't shit. Um, I think it's pretty much where we were after that point. Won his second title. Bulls went for their third title. Charles Barkley, great quote in there about how he scored 42 points in a game, thought he could play as well as he could possibly play in his entire life, and Michael Jordan still outbeat him. And let's just kind of start there. I think it's a little bit lost in the shuffle. Jordan in that Phoenix Suns series is perhaps one of the greatest performances of all time. And it's not even up there with all of his greatest shots. He doesn't have a game-winning shot or anything, but that was a really interesting stat. One of only three players to average over 40 points a game in a – was it a playoff series? I think it was the NBA Finals. Rick Barry and Elgin Baylor, the only two players to do it. Um, I mean, guys, we're at the point of the documentary right now. Jordan is at the apex, apex of his powers. How does it feel? <laughs> I mean, for me, it's, it, you know, it's always the ancillary things that are like, it, it makes you realize, oh my God, like for the biggest thing that, like, that, it, that I that reminded me of was how amazing Charles Barkley was. I think it gets lost in this day and age where he's kind of, I don't want to say he's a joke as a, a TV personality, but he's kind of almost a caricature at this point of himself. And we really get to see once again, like how amazing he was. I mean, he won the MVP that year, you know, and that was actually one of the things that kind of propelled Michael because he's like, he shouldn't have won the MVP. That should have been my MVP. So yeah, it's just seeing all those ancillary things that are always so, you know, amazing to see. Hop in, Higgs. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree as well. You know, like him, you know, he's on the TNT show. He does his commercials. He's goof, goofy Charles Barkley, but he was a badass dude, man. Like ferocious. Like the first time I saw Zion Williamson, I was like, oh, this guy's like a little bit of Charles Barkley. And I'm like ripping rebounds down. Not, and he was a big dude. What was Barkley like six, five, six, 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 maybe. If that, if that, and the if guy that. was known as one of the, like Rodman, like he was known as one of the best rebounders and like one of the baddest dudes in the NBA. So it was cool for them to show it. Uh, you know, he was in the 76ers before that where he, he was tearing it up. Um, quick side note with that, I feel the same way about Shaq. Shaq's this guy is a real goofy, funny dude. He's falling down, does Shaq than a fool. And it wasn't that long ago. That guy's one of the most dominating centers of all time easily. And I think people underrate Shaq as well because for the same reason, they're both like funny, goofy guys. Yeah, to round back around to the Barkley thing, you know, of all the times, you know, Jordan didn't win the MVP every single year, especially in those titles years, which a lot of people had kind of like some pushback on. And clearly, if you're the best player, you should probably win the MVP every single year. You know, Carl Malone won it. But I'll be honest with you, in 93, in third grade, and I'm one of, you know what I mean? We're all one of the biggest MJ fans of all time. When Barkley won the MVP trophy, you know, I wasn't crazy upset about that. I mean, the dude was absolutely on fire. He completely took a team that was talented but transcended it into an elite team. He all of a sudden was able to start shooting threes. He could kind of do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. 
And Barkley was amazing in those finals. And it is kind of an interesting question of, you know, we want our athletes to, we want our athletes to be honest and be humans and all this other stuff. But, you know, the, just the fact that Barkley is an, is an honest person and, you know, he's got that fun kind of little air of arrogance uh, about him that most athletes have, but he isn't that guy that's like steadfast, you know, I'm the greatest, no other questions asked. I'm going to guard it no matter what happens. He's kind of honest. And, you know, he's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't win a title. I was a good player and everything, but it's kind of sort of hurt him somehow in the public eye over the years of people don't realize how great he was because he is at the time self-effacing. And to that point, the same thing with Shaq too, as well. Like the fact that Shaq has fun for some reason, we're supposed to think he was less of a tough, mean, amazingly athletic, nasty, incredible offensive force in the NBA for at least over a decade. And I think that's kind of a shame, right? I mean, I think we, some of our athletes should allow to be the people that who we are, and we can still have that crazy reverence for them. Um, you know, they don't all have to be Bill Russell, you know what I mean? Just the cranky old guy who just talks about what it was like back in the day. I mean, I think we can get a little personality in our lives. And um, I completely agree with you. I, Barkley was an amazing player, and he was really good in that finals. It just so happens that Jordan averaged 41 in that finals. Whoops. <laughs> That's just got to be absolutely crushing, knowing that, like, you've played your best, you've done all you can do, and there's somebody that's just doing better than you are. Yeah, you know, and it's just not good. Like you gotta, yeah, it's almost like you almost just feel like giving up at a point. Yeah, it's just a, a, a height you'll never reach. Go ahead, Mike. Well, and then the thing that, again, that this documentary like brought to light, I, I forgot in that game six that they were down four with what, whatever that was, like 20 seconds left. So, I mean, you know, had balls bounced different ways, it could have been a Barkley championship, um, if not for uh, I know what. I, I just got to say, man, I was about to say, if not for like a John Paxson three-pointer, but can I just say, I hate John Paxson even more because I can't appreciate John Paxson as a player anymore. I, every uh, shot, the Lakers shot, this shot, I'm kind of like, there, there's a little bit of me that's just like, oh God, I don't want to see him make that. And so that's why it just gives me so much more reason to hate him now. You're soured. Those, those <laughs> jumpers led to some of the finest Middle ground, uh, four-year college t uh, pros from great programs that came onto the Bulls for the next fifteen to twenty years, man. <laughs> you, for every Kirk Heinrich out there, you got to thank that mid-range jumper right there from Johnny Pax. Uh, and you know, to get off that a little bit, I mean, I'm glad Pax made the shot and everything, but you know, I, I almost forgot in my mind. You know, right before that, what does Jordan do? He gets the rebound and he goes coast to coast, and he just goes, "Hey, I'm getting this layup." just to bring him within two to give him a shot at it. And even when he doesn't hit the biggest shot in the game, he's making the play right before it to make it happen. If he's not Steve Kerr hitting the shot, it's Jordan who's passing him the ball. You know what I mean? The dude, the dude is just the answer to all questions at all times of whether he was, was he the greatest? Well, did he do this? Did he do that? Did he win? Did he, you know, everything, everything at all times. Yeah. So let's go on to something that I didn't know about Horace Grant, the leak and, and by extension, um, just basically the tearing down of Michael Jordan, what maybe three years into him reaching finally the heights of becoming a champion, which is really interesting because we think that we do a pretty good job of that now tearing down the people that we like so much. Um, 
you know, to the point where for like some actors, you know, they can't even be in movies for a couple of years just because it's like, dear God, not another Ryan Gosling movie. Um, and I like him a whole lot, but you know, 30 years ago, he wins two titles. And next thing you know, uh, you know, the Jordan rules comes out and it's salacious to talk about the way that he treats certain teammates and the way that he talks. And maybe he isn't quite the squeaky clean player that we saw on the court. Uh, right after that, people start digging up dirt about him and his gambling issues. This guy, Slim Buller, who gets in trouble with drug trafficking, who Jordan just so happens to own $57,000 on. And by the way, that $57,000, we all know that was one shot, right? That wasn't a round of golf. <laughs> that was like an eight-foot putt, right? Is what, is this, is this what we're going to probably stick with? <laughs> or it was like, hey, hey, watch me uh, – Watch me throw this uh, ping pong ball into a toilet in the bathroom. Like this wasn't even actually like over a, a span of time. This was very quickly. What was your reaction when you kind of saw that? I mean, uh, I guess it's not surprising that the media would try and tear down someone, especially when you have such a meteoric rise. But, but think about it. That, that happened only within about three years of him becoming a world champion. I mean, what, what were your thoughts on that? Because we were very young at the time. Mike, go ahead. Well, I mean, you know, I think it's it, it kind of coincided with that that uh, uh, culture of media really trying to get dirt out of people, right? I think up until a certain point, as far back as like Babe Ruth, right? It was like this idea that we're protecting our players, we're we're looking out for our players, we're kind of maintaining their image. But I think kind of right around, you know, come that like late '90s and going into the 2000s, where it really became this proliferation of like, you know, this gotcha culture of like, oh, we're going to find out the worst parts of who you are. That's kind of the the genesis of that. And uh, you know, it's a, it's the thing is, it's so funny that like his worst. The worst thing that people could find out about Michael Jordan was that he like he went gambling, that he liked to gamble. You know, like in in the whole scheme of things, that's that's like you know in today's culture of like of, of drug addictions and all these other things, like that's so low on the scale. Like, oh, he stayed out until one o'clock with his dad. He was with his dad. Like, you can't do like it's like yeah. How much more like cookie cutter of of, of offenses could he have gotten? Hoppin Higgs. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember, you know, being younger when that stuff was coming on, being like, oh, my God, Jordan's doing all this stuff, and I can't believe he's gambling. Is he okay? He's betting on golf. <laughs> you know, and then you watch it, and he's like, yeah, I like to gamble. Uh, I have the money to back it up. I'm fine. I don't owe anybody money. I'm a competitor. He said what he said. He has a competitive problem, and, and I get that, like, for him. Like, he's a maniac. He's the guy who's got to bet on everything. You know, well, but and that's where, and that's where that's where the window cracks open about a guy who would bet on anything. Would he ever bet on his own games? And to say that Michael Jordan would throw a basketball game is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So get out of here with that kind of knowledge. But it it, it does open up a plausible situation where he would bet on himself uh, in a basketball game. Um, whether that happened or not, we'll never know. And to your point, I mean. Dude, we got, some of our closest friends are some of the most degenerate gamblers. Gambling on, you know what I mean? Like, just, you know, the PGA, like, not even a PGA Tour championship round. You know what I mean? Just something like, you know, the Quaker Oats Doritos Bowl. Like, they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're betting on, like, the over-under on that. So, it's definitely um, pot calling the kettle black in terms of the way that our nation embraces and further embraces gambling. Um, but, yeah, you can kind of sort of see it all – kind of beginning to stack up a little bit about why he walked away. And I think all the other things that are kind of floating in the air that they're presenting right now, 
I get it that it's a Jordan produced documentary, but at the same time, I think those all come in together to create a moment where he's like, I want to leave the sport is probably more plausible than David Stern being like, you have to quietly leave the league <laughs> because you're betting on games. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. MJ no. saying F you, guess what? You're not going to get my face and my quotes and you're not going to get my, my money from my entertainment. See how you like it. Um, it's a lot more plausible than him getting kicked out of the league. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say, or you feel a different? Yeah. Way? I mean, I don't know. I, it's kind of, Silly to think that David Stern would tell the most popular player in his organization who brings in the most money out of anybody by far, going, hey, you got to go. You gambled? You got to go. You got to go for two years. We can't have it, Mike. We just can't have it. (laughs) We don't want all those billions of dollars pouring into the NBA, the face of the franchise. No, you got to go because you gambled. I I don't know. I I just don't see it. The only – thing maybe is if he found out he was gambling on his own games like Pete Rose and you know Pete Rose is you know banned forever from the Hall of Fame so maybe that if there was maybe maybe that scared Stern and Jordan or something I don't know but I just don't buy it yeah and I and I tend to believe MJ when he says that I bet on myself and by doing that he means only individual pursuits only as in golf as in as we find out uh the dimes, a dime game about getting at a spot in the carpet in the back, in the back room. And sniff um, brothers, sniff brothers. We got a sniff sighting heads up. <laughs> um, and I tend to believe that narrative probably a little bit more than there's some sort of conspiracy cover up to make Michael go away for a little while. And then, uh, and then come back at some undetermined amount of time. And, um, and, you know, we haven't even gotten to his father's passing yet, but you can already tell there's sort of a boiling point for him. And he does seem kind of like a dude that'd be like, you know what? You know, maybe uh, let's see what everyone's life is like uh, without me around, without you guys hounding me. And the media scrutiny, my God. Like, again, we've hit it in previous podcasts before, but the dude is just cool as a cucumber under pressure in terms of the media onslaught that he constantly saw every single day from the moment that he walked out of his room to the time that he laid his head down on the pillow at night, like just the questions and everything. And it just seems like every single time, you know, he answered them as professionally as he could, you know what I mean? And uh, I think that's just a testament to him. Like as an athlete, like I have the ultimate respect for him. Like he doesn't really seem to have a bad day where he snaps at anyone. You know what I mean? It just doesn't happen for Mike. I think oh, – sorry, go ahead, Troy. Oh, um, I mean, my only point was I think, you know, this was kind of the first episode where it really delves into the oppression of his fame, um, you know, kind of being a prisoner to all his, all his success. And so, you know, yeah, like it's like that's going that, to – I don't care if you're Michael Jordan. I don't care if you're whoever. That's going to crack you at some point. So – I mean, this idea that, I mean, whatever the reason for the break, I think he needed the break. And ultimately, you know, you can make the argument about the eight peats and the, the, the seven peats and so forth. But ultimately, it worked because we got another three peat out of him stepping away. Yeah. And obviously, he didn't really stay. He didn't stay away that long. You know what I mean? He missed one full season. And by halfway through that second season, he was like, ah, I need, I need this back. Go ahead, Higgs. I was going to say, like, you know, some of the guys in the NBA today could learn a lot by just seeing how Jordan handled himself with an insane amount of media. Like, nobody, nobody's had that. Cough, like, cough. Didn't Russell have that. Westbrook. LeBron, 
Yeah, ex- exactly. Watch a man be professional under immense pressure, way more than any pressure that you're dealing with and do it and do it the right way, you know? Yeah. And understand that, like, look, like I'm not in disagreement that the questions Russell Westbrook probably gets are annoying and repetitive and monotonous and can be frustrating, but that is the gig. That yep. is the gig. You paid and, a lot of money. And all you, yeah. Questions. And all you have to do is just answer it professionally. You don't have to really add any insights. You don't really have to add too much, you know, of whatever you your own personality if you don't want to. But you still have to answer them, and still have to do it in a professional way. I wanted to ask you guys because we're kind of, sort of now, picking up all these pieces and we're kind of stacking them now about why Jordan eventually walked away after the 93 season. And another one that really kind of struck to me was, you know, you never, until he saw the jazz twice, you know, teams in the Western conference, there wasn't really like a foe or a rival that really, you know, scared Jordan. And I think what we get away from sometimes is that no matter what happened when he was making these title runs, there was always one team in the Eastern conference that, in their minds, all they wanted to do was whether they won or lost against Jordan, they wanted to beat the shit out of him. And whether it was the Pistons for three years, whether it was the Knicks for, what, three or four years, and then after that, the Pacers, there was always someone, those one or two rungs below the actual championship glory, the thing that goes on the DVD, were these hard-fought, brutal, grueling series that had to have also had an effect on him, too, as well. I mean. You know, after you play the Knicks a couple of times and you're like, all right, I'm going to go do that again and then win a fourth title. I mean, at some point you got to ask yourself, you know, would it all just been too much? You know, I I don't know. I mean, but those teams, go ahead, Higgs. I was going to say, I mean, I think it made him a way better player. You know, the fact that he got his ass kicked for all those years, the Pistons, what did he do? He started lifting weights. And that's a prompt to him to get stronger. um, And, you know, him battling against those guys all the time, getting thrown down, stand back up, psychologically get stronger, physically get stronger, mentally get stronger. So I don't think he would have been the player he, he was if he didn't go through all that. Jump in, Troy. Yeah, to echo that point, um, you know, and not to say that any of the finals matchups weren't tough because they were, but I don't know what your guys' opinions were thinking back on it. But to me, I always had this idea that, like, Hey man, the championships were actually won in that Eastern Conference championship. Oh yeah, you know whether it was to Aaron's point, the Pistons. Whether it was obviously, I'm sure we're going to be talking about the Knicks. Whether it was the Magic, like that was a championship. It was basically like, hey, we get past the Eastern Conference Finals. To some degree, the finals is kind of like eh, it's a formality. It's going to be tough, but it's a formality. We got to the finals, we're going to win. And I don't know about you, but as a Bulls fan growing up, and this is the honest to God truth. None of the finals opponents really ever scared me. You know what I mean? But, man, I tell you, those game sevens against the Knicks, again, the Pacers, those crucial games, that Charles Smith game that we saw in episode six, I mean, those were, I mean, the game, uh, what was it, game two, when the Knicks go up 2-0 on the Bulls, and Starks has that dunk, which I think triggered me last night, as I think perhaps easily... (laughs) My top five least favorite sports memory of all time. Yeah. It's like that one. It's like Aaron Rodgers throwing that bomb to Randall Cobb uh, against Cuddy's Bears to, to win the division. I mean, we've got like some – I mean, the Cubs, I'm sure we've got tons of heartbreaks over there. But, man, that dunk and that spin and the Madison Square Garden going crazy and my little 
prepubescent body just shrinking and the tears start flowing down my face. I mean, I remember that stuff. And man, Troy, you're like nailing it right on the head. Those games made me more nervous. Oh, yeah. And more scared. And the whole concept of that uncertainty of, are we going to be able to beat them? Can we get past them? And then the whole, if we do get past them, what do we have left? That always went through the Pistons, the Knicks, and the Pacers. Every single time. And, you know, the Sonics and the Jazz and stuff, those are all the stories that everyone knows about. But those series were so physical and so tough. And, man, there there were some ballers on those teams. Like, I mean, just up and down, like Mark Jackson all over the place, Reggie Miller, the Davis brothers on the, on the Pacers, Detlef Shrimp over there. Then on the Knicks, you had Oakley. You had Xavier McDaniel. You had John Starks. I mean, just obviously Patrick and, Ewing was amazing, you know. Go ahead, Higgs. And, and the coaching. You had Pat Riley, Larry Bird, and it was, was it Stan Van Gundy later well, on for the Knicks? Stan Van, yeah. and then you had, uh, and then you, uh, Jeff, Van, and then, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, and then sorry. you had Chuck, Chuck Daly in the beginning. And then Chuck Daly, yeah. So you like all these guys who are like Hall of Fame coaches are going mm-hmm. against on top of mm-hmm. badass teams. And I was just going to chime in and say the same thing. I completely agree with you guys that that was the scariest part was going through those guys. It's, isn't it, it's just so weird to think that, like, we weren't afraid of the guys and the, the teams in the finals. It was like, oh, okay, like, we probably should win this. I mean, well, the Knicks didn't know, so nervous. And then the yeah. Pacers were equally as nerve-wracking, if not more. Yeah, I mean, the Blazers, we weren't worried about the Blazers. The Suns played us tough, but Jordan was so amazing. The Sonics, me personally, was never worried about the Sonics for one minute because that was the greatest team I had ever seen in my life. And then those Jazz teams, yeah, they played us tough. Like, yeah, they won a couple games here and there. But, you know, they had one game where the Bulls beat them by, like, 40 or something like that. Kind of a course correction of just, like, a little bit of a sit-down. Sit-down, Jazz. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in the end, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get this. It just never got to that level of tension that I felt when they were playing. Yeah, man, those Pistons teams, those Knicks teams, especially those Knicks teams in New York on the road. Like, my God, like. It was just that's where that's where the intensity was for me personally as a Bulls fan. Yeah, it was like that old school, you know, half court offense. Set the ball up, get it down low. It's going to be physical. It's going to be shoving. You know, um, yeah. I mean, are we, we going to come out of it healthy? <laughs> and how? And, and that's it's it's crazy to think too, man. For as, as much as Jordan got his ass kicked, he never, besides his second year, he never had like any serious injuries. He got super lucky. Yeah, he had the wrist, and then uh, I can think of maybe a game or two where they were talking about. But like he never blew back. out like an ACL or anything like that, you know. No, and I mean, as we can see, and as the rest of the world is seeing, the dude played harder than anyone, and threw his body, you know what I mean, into into battle more than than any player that I can really remember, and uh, never really seemed to complain about it. The only thing that would happen maybe is if you hit him too hard, Jordan would be in your face screaming at you a little bit, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the dude I think the dude gets a lot of undeserved credit or deserves more credit for being as tough as he was. We're going to keep rolling in a second. We're going to do a quick break to talk about today's sponsor. It's betonline.ag, everybody. While you're waiting this out at home, what are you waiting for? You got to hop on to betonline.ag because they got a lot of amazing wagers where you can still make a little cash right now in our downtime. I know what you're thinking. No NBA, no NHL, no MLB. Nothing to bet on, right? Oh, contraire. Mon ami, there's plenty of places to wager at Bet Online, and they have plenty of poker and blackjack 
casinos there to get in on the action. But that's not all. There's still esports. There's American Idol, Big Brother, the upcoming election, and a 750K poker series coming up. There's still a lot of fun to be had. So go to betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100, M-Y-P-O-D-100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, betonline.ag, our promo code MYPOD100 because they are going to give you cash to help you make your first deposit and help you win some money, just like Slim Bowler coming back to the pod, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of things I want to cover. I mean, this episode is definitely, episode six was, a, it's an interesting episode, but it's really leading towards a lot of stuff that we know. And let's be honest, it's leading towards a dark time in our young lives. Um, and uh, I think we can kind of do a little appetif on it right now. I mean, what are your, what were your, do you guys have any memories, any personal memories about when Jordan retired? How you felt, where you were, what happened? Did you watch the press conference? Anything that you can remember? Go ahead, Mike. No, oh, yeah, I uh, very vividly uh, remember the press conference. Um, you know, this will probably date me, but uh, it was, uh, I was in college and I remember sitting in my room and, you know, there was speculation that, you know, there's, there's this big announcement that Mike was going to make. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was devastating. And I think what encompassed all that, if, if I recall correctly, it, it might just be my imagination, but, you know, uh, Tony Kukoc had finally come over to the Bulls and he was going to play that year. And I remember that they cut to Tony at some point during the press conference. And this might just be my imagination making up, but he looked like he was about to cry because he's like, after all these years, I'm coming over <laughs> to play with Michael and now he's retiring. So it was, yeah, it was just like, you know, question from again, the crowd. Is this yeah. question from the crowd? Yes. Tony Kukoc, are you retiring? Cause of me, is it, is this why you're leaving me? And, and you know, just, a, it was kind of for me, like, and again, not to sound uh, uh, overtly poetic about it, but it was kind of like a, the end of my childhood in a way. Cause you know, again, I'm in college, I'm kind of starting, you know, this next chapter of my life and, and to kind of at that point, not knowing obviously that he was going to come back and there would be another three feet. It was kind of like, this is kind of a, a closing of an era of my life and like probably an amazing sports legacy that I'll probably never see again. Little did we know a year and a half later, we would get another three. Higgs, what are your, what are your memories of, uh, of the, the darkest moment in Bulls history? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I actually, I don't really remember that moment for whatever reason. I do remember when he came back and when we get to that part, I'll tell you a fun story about it. Oh, that. oh yeah. I got some fun stories. We got to keep that. We got to keep that hidden. Cause that's, yeah, 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 that, yeah. that's going to be a huge one too, as well. Yeah. Let's just say I ate some English muffins that day. I was a chubby kid back then. I ate a lot of food. <laughs> I had some English muffins. I was very happy. I was a very happy boy. But uh, no, my, my personal memory was um, I had gone to a White Sox game that night and I left the stadium and was walking home and someone was walk, walking alongside my dad. And, you know, like kind of when you're in that sort of staggered group, sort of leaving a game kind of thing, a lot of chatter and stuff. And we heard from someone behind us go, did you guys hear the news? turned around and we were like thought it was white Sox related and the guy goes they're saying on the radio that jordan's going to retire in the morning and you know you're like you're leaving a baseball game you're like all right that guy had a couple of pops you know maybe he's trying to be funny or you know what i mean who knows like whatever whatever and uh didn't sleep that night had the worst time worst time <laughs> of my life and then woke up the next morning and it was a reality you know and um you know where you know the that next season like I still watched every single Bulls game, but I mean, it really, 
it, I, it, I couldn't wrap my head around it for a young kid at the time of why he would leave and why he would walk away. Cause remember at the, at the press conference too, which we'll probably see in episode seven, he said, I can accomplish, I've accomplished everything I've ever wanted to accomplish in the game of basketball. And now I'm done. And uh, at the time when you hear that in the kid, you're just like, wait, really? But I wanted more. <laughs> I mean, it's like, let's bring, let's bring me some more. And, and this is where it's all, all leading up to right now. And um, I mean, honestly, I think one of the most fascinating moments, not just in basketball history, but kind of in sports history, the, the, the fact that he sort of walked away and the team didn't crumble under its wake. It still competed. It was still there. It was still basically championship-esque. Should have gone to the finals. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Hugh Hollins. On the on the Hugh exactly. da- on, the, on the Hugh Davis call, um, and it sort of just sort of obviously set up what you said, Choi, earlier. This next great three peat, and I think all the th- all the things that are happening right now, especially in episode six leading into seven, are at, it begs the question. All these things kind of needed to happen if he was going to win that second three peat. I mean, all these, all the, the the boiling point, the fact that he had to back away, and then he can come back recharged. And obviously, come back more recharged than ever, uh, better than ever, a better team than ever. You know what I mean? And, and rip off another three is—it's uh, just incredible. Like you're just—I'm—I'm I'm really glad people get a chance to see the story that we grew up with as a kid because it's almost not even real. It's almost just like—it's almost almost a Hollywood thing. But no, this really happened. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was just gonna say like it—it it totally echoes. You know, a couple episodes ago when they talk about how Rodman you know, had to take that vacation in Las Vegas. I mean, this was Jordan, whatever reasoning we want to put behind it. Ultimately, he needed a vacation. He needed some time away, recharge both his body and mind. And then again, it worked. It worked. Again, we can speculate how many championships, championships they won in a row. But the, but the truth is he came back right again. They were championship caliber and won three. Go ahead, Higgs. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just got to be <laughs> – Nobody can, can, can live that way and be normal, you know? Um, and I just think it's got to be awful that you can't go out, you can't do anything. Getting asked questions all the time. And they had that, that shot of him, you know, and he was in his hotel room just chilling, having a cigar. Like, this is the only place I can really, I can really be, you know? Uh, quick story, years ago I was in Vegas and I was at Paris and all these people in the casino started running. So my friends and I all started running to see what was going on, and, and Jordan was playing cards in a private room that had like a glass glass wall, and there was a hundred people easily just staring at him playing cards. He's with his buddies, having a cigar, having a drink, and I that was the moment for me. I was like, oh man, that's gotta, that's gotta suck. Be awful. Like, can you imagine just trying to play cards and you have a hundred people staring at you? Like, and that happens to him everywhere he goes, every day. And, all Every day. day, man. And it's just like, for me personally, you know, being a billionaire, it just wouldn't be worth it. Hop in, Mike. And, and I'm, obviously, they will definitely talk about this come episode seven. But the thing that I just remember, too, is it, it, with everything he was experiencing, whether it was the, the fan pressure, the media pressure, his father had just been murdered as well. I mean, how do you, like, in the, this whole scheme of things, like, I, I, I can't even imagine what he was going through. So, of course, there were so many different impetus for him to, like, step away. And, and I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know how I would have responded in, in, in a similar situation. So, again, like, he just, he, he needed some time away. He needed to regroup. And Yeah, and I think that's what we're kind of sort of 
settling on, right, is I think that everyone tries to look for theories and reasons and everything, but sometimes these things are a little bit more intangible than we make them out to be, right? Like, and, and look through any sport at any time, you know, there is really like a shelf life or a human capacity to be on the top of greatness for a certain stretch of time. Now, you know, and it seems to really be only like three or four years, right? Like look at Kobe and Shaq, like eventually Shaq had to leave. Like he just couldn't be there anymore. There was a tension there. Um, the Edmonton, uh, the, the Oilers teams of like Gretzky growing up in like the eighties and stuff, like they won five, but it only went so far before that team got broken up for all these different reasons. Tom Brady, Joe Montana, these guys that have won all these Super Bowls, they didn't win them in a row. You know what I mean? Like you have to sort of reset at some point and come back up from the bottom. And for Jordan, I mean, could he have really played almost like he couldn't live with himself playing a season where he had to have that moment of not winning and then working himself back up to the top. He always had to be on top. So really the only way for him was to maybe step away from the game for a while and then come back when he felt like that he could be at his mental best to win those titles again. Because as you can see throughout any sport, it just doesn't last for very long. You know what I mean? Even, even guys like Derek Jeter and stuff, you know what I mean? They go to the playoffs and everything, but they don't win the world series every year. Like, could you imagine, you know, what, what is the threshold of pressure that one person can have and celebrity can have? And this extends to music and movies and all, all across the board. You know, these guys only can go for, you know, maybe three, four, five years before they got to take that step back and try and recharge the battery somehow. And Michael Jordan is at the end of the day, a human being. And I don't think that makes him exempt from that. Mike, are you hopping in or are you, you scratching? Oh, I, I was scratching, but uh, I, I will say that like, um, the thing that... Uh, it was scratching his nuts. That's usually what he does <laughs> when he wants to talk. I got confused. I, it's like... You know, but to your point of like, yeah, like it's just like this, this extended run at being the world's best at something. It's, it's a limited window and he kept it up for the majority of his career, you know, and it wasn't even in a day, like I think about today, you know, look at LeBron who's had to like change teams like three different times, you know, and, and, and in this era of load management, like Michael Jordan wouldn't have done load management. He gave you a hundred percent every game. And so at some point, yeah, it's like, man, I just, my body, my mind, like it just, it, it, it needs a yeah. break. He had a certain terms, and if he couldn't meet those terms, he just wouldn't be able to play, which is probably maybe another reason why we find out he retires in 98. Higgs, hop in. we got a couple minutes to go. Uh, I wish they could do a whole hour documentary or maybe even more about his time in the Wizards because his stats in the Wizards at when he was, what, 36, 37, 38, somewhere around there? Sneaky Are crazy impressive. good. Sneaky yes. impressive. So that's the thing. It's like talking about him not being as good, but uh, he was still pretty damn good for being that old. I don't think there's ever been a player at his age when he was playing for the Wizards who's been better. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think there might be, you know, there could be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or something like that, but he might be the oldest player to average 20 points in a season. Um, and, you know, the field goal percentage isn't exactly on line with the rest of his career numbers. But, yeah, if you look up his game-to-game stats, the dude still dropped like 30-35 at least once or twice every couple of weeks or like, you know what I mean? Two, three times a month. So, I mean, the dude definitely still had it. We got a jet man. That was episode six of the last dance. Mike Choi. Thank you so much for joining us, man. 
Aaron Hagel, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real pleasure. Thank We're you. Gonna keep, you know, you're, my pleasure. We're going to keep it going, you guys. We're going to come back next week. We're going to break down episode seven and eight for you again separately uh, because there's a lot of talk about at this point. A lot to do, a lot to talk about. And MJ is king, and this is what we could do. We could literally do this all day. So thank you for listening to Believe in Betting Chicago. Again, my name is Joey Christopoulos. This episode was brought to you by betonline.ag. Thanks for listening, you guys. Be safe, be healthy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.